Yo, hello everybody and welcome back to The Pixelists. I'm Will, that's Blake, and we're here to talk about all things nerdy. Uh, specifically today, a little Critical Role Campaign 3, Episode 17. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> How you doing today, buddy? I don't know why I do that. Hey, but... you can always never yeah. go wrong with the boop, boop, boop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you though? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Um... A little, I don't know. I've been like, uh, I guess I'm not, I, I'm doing good. And this is becoming a long winded response now, but I feeling a little like lethargic. So I don't know if I, hmm. uh, need Have some you had coffee your coffee or I did, I did, but, uh, maybe I need some more. So it's kind of the end of the day though. Right. So yeah, I kind of, you know, don't like to down. take coffee after like three. Yeah. Yeah. Same. But, but. Like I said, a little lethargic, but I'm getting some juice because I'm really excited to talk about uh, today's episode with you. I am as well, and there's a lot to talk about from today's episode. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm saving what I want to say for, I guess, after we do the recap, but okay. um, man, what an episode, and I'm ready to talk about it if you are. I, I guess a quick announcement. We have EXU, call it part two. Um Right. It's a two. Sh it's a two shot, I guess, and that's happening this Thursday and Friday. And um, we'll put out a video on it. It won't be. We probably won't do them separately since they're airing so close together. Yeah. Um, we'll just do a combined like our reaction. And uh, if you enjoyed EXU, uh, we actually did do a deep dive on every episode. Yep. In the uh, when it aired this past summer, and then also if you haven't watched any of EXU. But you've been watching campaign three and maybe you want to indulge in a little bit of this two shot which personally i think is going to be really great um I'm excited. you should definitely check out our video on i think it's called what do you need to know from exu or Xandria unlimited right and that right. pretty much covers like the big story points uh especially because a lot of these things keep popping up in the campaign it might be good to watch yeah so. and uh on that note we also similar to how we do for the campaign three episodes we recapped each and every episode so if you want like a little bit more of an in-depth you know analysis on, or not analysis but uh what am i trying to say here we recapped it i don't know i can't yeah, yeah. find the word but it's a recap. yeah we have the, i think was, there's like a playlist of the recap young in our recap days so i think we had a recap that was like 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did still so, just so much to talk about <laughs> exactly um, All that to say, nothing happened in this episode, so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it. Okay, anyway. Um, but yeah, so definitely check that out. And uh, one last thing that uh, I wanted we haven't talked about yet, but Moon Knight's coming out soon. I think we should do that when that comes out, because I'm excited for that. Definitely, yeah. That sounds good. All right, so yeah, let us know in the comments if you're going to be watching Moon Knight as well. Um, but yeah, other than that, we can jump into this recap if uh, if you're good to go. Yeah, and for you guys who are watching the recap, we also cut this out as its own separate video. And so if you're watching just the recap and you want to see our reactions and theories and deep dive discussion, um, even certain moments where we have a theory and then later we get to say we were right, which may happen in today's episode, uh, you can check that out. The link to that full video in the comments below. Um, anyway, Will, you want to take it away? Yeah, I will kick us off. So this is what happened during Campaign 3, Episode 17. Um, and the episode picks up uh, immediately into an Imogen dream sequence. If you recall, at the end of the last episode, she fell asleep while cradling the gem they stole from the Shade Mother. And so we're in her dream. It's the classic Red Storm dream that she's been having over and over. However, this time there's something new. She's holding the gem in the dream, just like she was in real life when she fell asleep. And it is kind of offering her another option you know in this dream she always runs away she can hear her mom screaming at her to run but she looks at the gym and it there's no like it doesn't speak to her or anything but she recognizes that like hey like you can use this to get out of here type of thing um it's not that explicit again but she just feels that like she could attempt to use this gym um to do something here However, she doesn't. She kind of like screams to the ether, like, what is this gym? And, you know, nothing right. responds. And so she ultimately just runs, um, listening to that voice of her mother again and just starts running away and wakes up. Uh, she immediately kind of rustles um, 
Laudna awake to talk to her and kind of tells her about the dream, tells her about the, how the gym was in it. And, um, she's like, you know, should I have tried it? Like, she's like, I've always just run. I've never even tried anything else. Like I haven't tried to walk toward the storm, you know, didn't try to use the gym. And Laudna's like, yeah, I mean, maybe, uh, do you think you could go back to sleep and like pick up where you left off? And, you know, she says she's not sure, but you know, as far as tonight, she doesn't think she wants to like mess with it anymore. So she ends up, uh, it's pretty early in the morning, but everyone else is still asleep. But Imogen decides, you know, I can't go back to sleep. So she walks downstairs and kind of just spends some quiet time in the morning while everyone else, you know, finishes their rest. Um, and she leaves the gym with Laudna in the room and is like, Hey, you know, make sure nobody else touches this. So she goes downstairs, Laudna, you know, kind of puts the gym away. Uh, a few hours pass and then everyone else wakes up and they been begin to converge downstairs and uh Chetney wakes up with a scream because he's so like upset that he overslept through his, you know, 3 a.m. date <laughs> with Fern. Yeah. Um but everyone gets together, kind of catches up and <clears throat> uh Imogen actually asks FCG to take a look at this gym now that um he's had a chance to rest and perhaps he can identify it. So he looks at it and he comes to find out that this is a shard of the Gnarl Rock. And what the Gnarl Rock is, is this rock from the Fey Realm. And where it resides, basically everything around it uh, like twists and mutates kind of like nightmarishly. And they seemingly have a piece of that rock. And uh, they ask Fern, since she's from the Feywild, you know, she recognizes it or knows anything about it. Um, but she's not familiar with it. And kind of since they were talking to Fern, people are like, yeah, so what, what's your story? Are you from the Feywild? Like, why are you here? How long have you been here? And she says that she came here to just explore and kind of see more of the world. And her grandma told her that maybe she could try and find her parents. Um, cause her parents have been gone and they were originally from the Feywild, but left a long time ago when Fern was really young. I think she says yeah. in her forties, um, and she doesn't know what they left for, but she has gotten letters from them over the years. And the last place she got one from, uh, was Aeor. So party's like, okay. And again, catching up, they're kind of roasting Chetney for having fallen asleep and missed the date with Fern. Um, uh, but they're like, okay, so what are we doing? And they're like, okay, we need to go talk to Gianna Hexum and find out more about this job that Ashton told us about. Um, so they decide to do that, but they're also like, well, we need to see Zidana, um, Fern, or sorry, not Fern, um, Laudna and Imogen want to speak to yeah. her. And they also want to go catch up with Estrosh to let them know like what happened with the Green Seekers and the Shade Mother and everything. Um, so first things first, they run to Zidana's really quick to check in with her. The girls let her know that, you know, we're going to be out of town for a while, but here's 10 gold, you know, like, please save our room for us. Don't run it to anybody else. And, you know, they just make sure she's okay. Then they head to Gianna's and Ashton basically introduces everyone to her and, you know, tells them that, you know, we're the Bell Cells, not the nobodies anymore. Um, he's like, everyone here is, you know, on the up and up and better than the nobodies essentially. Um, <clears throat> Gianna then tells them about the job and, it basically boils down to she has this rivalry rivalry with a man known as uh, Ivan Hydroga. And he runs this unique place called the Twilight Museum, which is essentially just a collection of oddities. And, uh, you know, Gianna, too, kind of collects things. And they've argued for years over who has the better collection and just have had this rivalry. And as we know, Gianna was robbed. And ever since that, uh, well, actually, she wasn't robbed. They didn't take anything, but her place was broken into. And ever since then, she's been getting ribbed by uh, Hydroga, saying, right. like, your defenses are terrible. Like, nobody could ever steal something of mine. And so through that, Born was this um, yeah, this gambit. This, uh, yeah. This, yeah. And he's basically saying, like, I'm going to give an item that I want you to try to steal. And, like, I'm going to prove my defenses cannot be beat. Um so can you do it? And so that's why she's hired the Bell's Hells to try and uh, go steal this item that, again, uh, Hydroga has picked himself. And she lets them know that there may be another crew that is also trying to do this. Um, there is a Mistress Isha Sabanis who 
is basically another one of their rivals and she wants to take both Gianna and Hydroga down a peg. So she's going to have yeah. a crew that's trying to do the same thing. And the nuts and the bolts are she's going to pay them 300 gold for travel expenses and everything. And then 500 gold a pop if they're successful with an additional 500 gold a pop on the table if they're able to sufficiently embarrass uh, Hydroga in the process. <laughs> they're um, going to kill him. <laughs> and then a little note is like there's these little... um like gargoyle busts type statues that like they're blanked face but when somebody gets near it it like morphs to be like a mirror of them and fern like really likes this and she's like if we embarrass them throw in one of those too and she's like i'll think about it um (laughs) so then uh the 300 gold that they're going to get as travel expenses uh fcg asks can we get that in the form of a single diamond and she says yes and immediately gets them one and yeah, i love how he's like just going through his regent list on his spells <laughs> yeah. like, can I get a uh old withered finger <laughs> like uh... so yeah and so now they uh i think well we'll talk about that during the discussion um so they get that and uh, she's just like many others have been throughout this campaign, she is taken aback and impressed with FCG, asking Ashton, right. where did you get this automaton? And, um, you know, she's very interested. She wants one of her own. And FCG actually lies and says that Ashton, you know, helped plan and design him, um, you know, because he's so smart and everything. And Gianna's like, well, we'll have to sit down and talk about this once you guys get back from this mission because you know i'm very interested in getting myself an automaton like this and fcg asks you know just out of curiosity like how much do you think i would be worth and gianna says that you know i just had an automaton stolen from me that was worth twenty thousand gold and you would be worth quite a bit more than that since you are like as advanced as he is right um FCG's like, well, yeah, you guys can just sell me if you ever, if you ever get in trouble yeah. or something. <laughs> um, but so then with all the information and everything, they head out and uh, Gianna wishes them good luck and tells them not to disappoint her. So before they actually head out of town, there are a few final things that they need to take care of. Um, but they decide to split up into three different groups to tackle everything at the same time. So we've got Imogen and Chetney that are going to procure travel horses for the journey. Um, Fern and Ladna are going to go to Estros's and catch him up on everything. And then FCG, Orum, and Ashton are going to go speak with Milo to kind of see if he, uh, see if they might know anything about what's been going on with FCG. So first up, Estros, uh, Fern and Ladna head there, catch him up on everything with the Green Seekers, the Shade Mother, and he asks can the green seekers be trusted? And they tell him that they seem to be trustworthy. Um, he then gives them some baked goods uh, for the journey, tells Naturally. them to be safe and uh, also warns them to stick to the trails because it can get right. quite dangerous out there. Um, next up, we uh, go to Milo. Uh, they arrive and tell Milo that FCG has been having some issues recently. Uh, Milo begins inspecting FCG and notices that there's like this, buzzing pent-up energy that perhaps needs to be like released or discharged and milo just says that there's a lot a lot of arcane magical items like have this kind of relationship with energy that you know that needs to either need to recharge or discharge and so perhaps something like that is what's going on with fcg so fcg talks about you know he goes into stasis and maybe that can kind of help with what's going on um but they also say, we're about to go on this mission. Milo, do you have any like upgrades for FCG? And no, no upgrades per se, but Milo does fix FCG's like grappling hook attachments. It was a little like wonky, so he went in there and cleaned it, made it all great. And functionally, what this means is Sam can now swap his attachment on his arm without using his entire action. So pretty nice little upgrade. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we got Chetney and Imogen going to the Rapid Path stables and trying to get some horses. Chetney's pretty disturbed that they don't have sill goats. <laughs> they only have horses. But after a bit of back and forth, they do decide to rent five horses and a small wagon, which they pay 150 gold plus 150 gold deposit that they'll get back upon return <laughs> of the horses. So they're not getting it back. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so then on the way back... Um, Imogen and Chetney are talking and she asks him, you know, 
red storms. You familiar with that at all? And he says, no, like I've seen some green storms, but never a red one. And she just begins telling him about her dream, the smell of iron and kind of asks him, you know, since you have such a great sense of smell, does this mean anything to you? And, you know, he says iron is the smell of blood. And he says, you know, when people have recurring dreams like this, sometimes it's because it's a memory. And he asks, is this something that maybe happened to you when you were young? And she says, you know, I've never thought of that, but I don't think so. Um, and then real quick, she just asks him about his tattoo, which uh, <laughs> yeah. is RTA. And he says that stands for recognize the alpha. You know, everyone's got an alpha right. inside of them and you just got to learn to assert dominance. <laughs> and then Matt has... Laura rolling intelligence tech <laughs> and basically tells her that, hey, you know, that is a bunch of debunked pseudoscience and nonsense, yeah. <laughs> which was just amazing. Yeah, um, that was great. So all the groups now have reconvened yeah. and they're basically outside a general store and they're like, let's get the final supplies, you know, food, water, spell components, yeah. etc. cetera. And uh, Matt's like, just figure out what you want over the break and that will say that you got it. And yeah, right. that's when we went to break, if you want to take it from there. Yeah, and I'll just um, kind of highlight because I really want to be able to talk about this episode. And there's so many like individual things that um, for you guys yeah. who watched it, I'm not going to mention everything, but kind of like the big story points. First of all, Matt does an amazing job of just DMing travel to a location. Um, yeah. I won't really re recap the exact details of it, but um, in many cases as DMs, we're just kind of like, okay, yeah, you get there. Like anything big happened. <laughs> um, just did a great job doing that. So kind of the big story points that happen on day one, um, first of all, they, as they're traveling, they notice this large dog-like rabbit that comes out of the brush and it's holding a pink stone in its mouth. And Orem just immediately gets after it. You know, the rabbit's trying to get away. Uh, Matt actually lets um, Liam know that like, hey, you're not going to catch this rabbit just chasing it. And so he tries a more subtle approach of basically like sneaking up on sneaking up on it and also using his druid craft to um, create a carrot to sort of offer to the rabbit. Um, at one point, he does catch up with the rabbit and the rabbit's dropped this pink stone and is kind of like messing in the brush. And Orem, they both roll initiative and Orem has advantage on initiative and actually beats the rabbit and gets to the stone first. Uh, and even Orm's like, why did I just do that? That was so random. <laughs> but they do find out that this pink crystal, which is different from the purple gem that um, Imogen has, which that one's very um, like opaque and cloudy. This is a clear, translucent, um, almost like diamond-esque purple gem. Yeah. And they find out that this is a um, Feywild shard. And similar to the Gnarl Rock shard, um, it is something from the Feywilds. And they have this conversation on, it's kind of strange that like we've had so many data points around the Fey or the Feywild. And they actually even conjecture like, is the Odiran Wilds, like is the Fey sort of seeping into this area? Um, they do talk to um, Fern about it. Fern actually um, does like a, a role to see kind of what she can ascertain from the environment. Rolls a natural one and it's kind of like, yep, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but does recall from EXU the time they encountered the gate to the Feywild um, outside of Iman as they were traveling south in Tal'Dorei. And um, there's a lot we'll talk about there in our discussion. But um, Fern also, and really actually in this whole discussion, Fern actually does give some more insight on her journey from the Feywild and mentions that her parents' names are Birdie and Oleander, who goes by Ollie, and that her grandmother, who's been sort of her patron, goes by Morrigan, and that she's essentially looking for her parents, um, like Will mentioned earlier. Uh, they also, FTG cast, identify on this um, Feywild shard and finds out that this can attune, it's a magical item that a sorcerer can attune to. And that it allows them anytime they um, roll, um, oh, what was it? Roll their um, um, their meta magic. When they yep. use meta magic, yep. they can choose to roll um, on the wild magic table. And um, also, if that spell on the wild magic table requires concentration, they can cast it without concentration just for the duration of the spell. So Imogen takes that, and it's just a really cool trinket that she picks up. Um, another trinket they find like on this journey is they do find a blue rose. And this is also identified 
to be um, an item that will give them resistance on lightning damage, up to 10 damage, or they can use it to do like a cone of lightning damage. But in both cases, the rose is destroyed. Um, so that's another magical item that comes up. And in this time together, as they're traveling, um, not only are they kind of just, you know, making camp and starting on the day's journey the next day, um, but they also get set back with like a rainstorm, you know, they're kind of just going about. And really the remainder of this episode is the moments that they make camp and the two people who are on patrol really just making small talk and talking about like yeah. past history, past, you know, uh, events in their lives. And this is where some of like the most interesting reveals happen in the story so far. Oram and Ladna on in their patrol, um, their late night conversation, uh, they find out, um, well, Oram asks Ladna about her background and Ladna reveals that she was one of the lookalikes from the sun tree that the Briarwoods had used to um, the people that they had hung from the sun tree as a warning to Vox Machina who were, who were entering the city. Um, and it's presumed that she was um, Vex because they had cut her ears to make her look half elven. Um, and so Orm's just like, I'm so sorry. Like um, there's a great moment where she's like, where Orm's like, you know, why are you so positive after everything you've been through? And she's like, well, the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to me has already happened. That's so, a great line amazing moment um just skipping along um other conversations that happen fcg and imogen on one of their patrols uh decide to detect thoughts and go deeper with one another my <laughs> meld yeah they have like this moment where they both like look into each other's past and imogen sees dancer and like sort of like the troop and them having fun and like being around a campfire and like all these great memories and then all of their bodies like laid out and killed and this shadowy figure sort of like moving on. Um, FCG sees the red storm and the intensity of it and all of that, that, that Imogen's experienced. Um, and there's just this really funny moment afterwards of them being like, you're so beautiful. Like, I love you so much. <laughs> yeah. um, and they realize like they were not keeping watch at all. And so Matt's like roll initiative, but it's just a joke. Everyone's dead. Um, Ashton and, uh, I don't remember if it was Ladna or who it was, but Ashton reveals that he wasn't always rock hard, that he was, <laughs> he also like around the age of 10 started to transform into like his earth Genasi esque form. Um, and then Chetney and Oram have a conversation about Chetney mentions that he only became uh, a lycanthrope in the past few months. This is a relatively new thing for him. And Orm reveals that something we had conjectured in EXU, that the reason he's on this mission is because that day when the Voice of the Tempest was attacked, his husband, Will, who was also one of the guards, uh, was killed in the attack. And he has a tattoo um, of the two moons as a reminder of the time that they shared. Um, and Jenny realizes this is a really personal mission for you. So... Um, I think that's mostly the conversations that happen. I don't know if I missed one or not, but, um, I think that did was, I miss one. I don't think so. Okay. The episode basically ends with the party seeing this floating fairy and they have all these conversations on like, hi, hello, are you there? <laughs> and it's really unresponsive and they decide even as it's pulling away, they decide, you know, we got to follow this thing and it pulls away to reveal itself as a kind of like the angler fish, a lure of a giant vine-like snapping creature yeah um and that's where the session ends and that's what happened on episode 17 of campaign three of critical role it was a good one Whew. i feel like it was a long recap that was a lot yeah. to talk about it was so, it was jam-packed yeah so if you want to check out our discussion on it it's down in the episode description below um will i gotta say man this was maybe my favorite episode it was really good. I mean, it was we, really good. We there were just so many reveals, so many just great character moments, and uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, probably one of my favorites. It. I mean, we've we've talked about this a lot, but these this these types of moments that were in this episode are what we love about D and D. So I mean, I think a lot of people probably feel the way we did, and I mean, at least I hope so. I hope nobody was like, "This episode's boring." 
but yeah, I mean, I was trying to, I was thinking it through thinking like, why did I like this episode so much? And I still haven't like landed. I guess the role play was just really great. I mean, the party does a great job just playing off one another. Yeah. Um, but I just, it was a very cozy episode. I was just like really enjoying their back and forth and conversations. And, you know, it's a really special table when people are, um, so engaged with one another. Um, but yeah, a really great episode. I thought, yeah. Uh, and how fun that it was on the seven year anniversary. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I loved it. Um, this is, I want to know what you guys thought in the comments. Like if this was one of your favorite episodes as well. And then if anyone went to a theater to see this, I would love to hear about that. Um, I, I read some comments on Reddit of people who were in a theater and um, some of the descriptions that I got were that like, for example, the Laudna reveal that yeah. like people were, like one person had written that they saw everyone like take out their phones and they were like trying to find the image from <laughs> Legend of Vox Machina. Oh, and he said, he, this person said that it was just a really cool, it was cool to be there as it was happening and as everyone was kind of just like trying to figure out more info. Um, but yeah, I think those of you who were in a theater, yeah, let us know what that was like. Yeah, that would be so cool. They don't, the where Blake and I live, none of the, whatever theater brands like were a part of that, that we don't have those, so... I'd love to do that at some point, though, if, if they keep doing other events like this. Because I bet that would be really fun to be in like a whole yeah. theater full of critters. Um, yeah, give yeah. our theater a one star on Google. For... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, uh, I mean, so many, so many things to talk about here. Bro, I... we have so many things to head on. I know. So anywhere, like, I'm sure they were going to miss something. I don't know. I mean. I probably should have made a list of things that we needed to make sure we talked about. Cause I mean, <laughs> there's so many things to hit on. Yeah. I made a short list. Um, okay, perfect. But definitely not comprehensive. It was just things that I was like, okay, I want to make sure to bring yeah. this up. Um, I, I think, I think maybe a good starting point, my friend is we got to give credit where credit is due. Me remembers <laughs> a certain conversation here on the Pixelist podcast about Ladna's backstory and <laughs> who Ladna could be. And Will, you pointed out that she was wearing in her character art, her official character art. She had jewelry on her ears that even made it seem half elvish, kind of pointy, like maybe a Vex lookalike. And we talked about it and we were like, yeah, let's ship it. We really like this theory. But you were mentioning you got some haters on that theory. <laughs> and so, uh, Look at me now, Dad. You know, we <laughs> called it. We don't that's get a right. lot of things right, but you know, we one gotta, in a million. We're gonna really that's hit right. Right we gotta ship on that. we gotta flaunt our W's when they happen. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I to be fair, I wasn't getting like too many haters. There's actually a quick plug. We have a TikTok. I'm still learning TikTok, so we only have like two or three videos on there. But one of the ones on there is this theory, <laughs> and so a lot of people in the comments were like, "No, this." You're wrong. The timeline does not add up. Marisha herself yeah. said this. And I was like, okay, well. I got to just say, though, it's so boomer to say I'm still learning TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. We're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> okay. Let's yeah. well, let's start over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who are um, actually the time frame and then yeah. how convenient <laughs> that it does add up. Exactly. So, yeah, but, it felt but, nice for this to be right. Dude, I think Marisha is my favorite. Like everyone is my favorite. I love everyone's character. I love every time someone is talking, I'm like, yep, I love that character. I didn't feel that way with the XU. I had moments where I was like, okay, I'm ready to kind of move on to the next character. Um, with the exception of probably Dorian. And, you know, we've already goosed about Dorian enough anyway. <laughs> but she really stole the episode for me. The way that her and Liam naturally talked. I'm like, I'm like, did you plan? Did you guys practice this? Like, it was so well done. Scripted. And Mar Marisha's line on the worst, like, did you notice Matt literally mouthing like, and like, <laughs> like I was watching everyone's reactions, but like, I mean, you just know Matt was proud of like, that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that whole scene was amazing. It, it was so good. Yeah. It really was, and you're not to call attention to it for a third time, but that that line was so good, like that resonated with me, and like yeah, I I don't I don't know that was that was beautiful, and I, yeah, part of me not that this 
makes any difference whatsoever. But part of me is just curious. Like, I wonder if she right on the fly had that or if that's been like something she's been sitting on, like waiting to say, because it was <laughs> what is grief, but love persevering. It reminds me of like it such was, a poignant line like that. It was very much like that moment in WandaVision for sure. And I just got to give, you know, I got to give the whole staff credit to creating interesting characters that aren't, you know, um, cliche. Like she is the, you know, stereotypical goth, edgy, like on paper, like description wise, you would think, just, yeah. you know, the moody, whatever person that you're just like, okay, buddy. And is this upbeat you know, optimistic character. And I just love how we finally got like the explanation, like, why are you that way? And it's like, yeah, because, you know, I was beaten, tortured and murdered. And by the way, my murderer now lives in my head. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, besides that whole thing, but, but anyway, I, yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. Or, um, yeah. Laudna is fantastic. I, I couldn't pick a favorite character. It shifts basically with whoever's on on screen at the moment yeah. they're all so good and uh i don't know if i'm pronouncing this right but glimme or glim in the uh discord basically said that you know he loves these characters too and he, they're his favorite i think from all the campaigns and so i was thinking about this and i'm like man it's like your children you know you don't want to say that anyone is, is your yeah, favorite yeah. but and this is something we've talked about even in the earlier episodes but i do just feel like this energy that's like that's different. Like, I feel like everyone is so on it right now. And like all the characters are just masterfully crafted. They're all so interesting and fun. And yeah. So I basically just wanted to reiterate that <laughs> I agree with you. And yeah. so do others that you know, and I these just characters feel like fantastic. Every character is so random, but every character I'm like, you're just a good dude. Like <laughs> no matter who they, whatever character I'm just like, yeah, you're just, you're just good. I like you. You're cool. You know? And so, yeah. I don't, and I didn't really, I, we've mentioned this a million times. I didn't really watch campaign one or two. And so it's hard for me to like compare it, but, um, I just know if one of these characters dies, I'm probably going to quit the show. I, <laughs> just, I just don't know if I could do it, man, with how, how much I resonate with these characters, how great they are. Um, so I don't know. Don't die. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Um, but yeah, uh, shout out Marisha and what a, what a great moment. And speak, this is kind of a weird segue and I guess we'll kind of just jump around, but kind of on that subject of you think everyone's just a great dude. I had a, uh, uh, Chetney when he was talking to Orem and learning about Will and, you know, his past and he was just so like empathetic yeah. and respectful yeah. and yeah. not that, you know, I thought that he was an asshole, but you know, just yeah. how he portrays himself, you know, respectful alpha mentality essentially it was just right. very like interesting to kind of cut through that and see that you know he really is like a a big-hearted little werewolf under there um, yeah and even just, when he like looks away with like the tear yeah <laughs> or whatever yeah it, no. uh, similar to the moment that he had with dorian when they were patrolling the moon tower where like they held hands or something like that and you know, Dorian said that they were friends and he like started to get a little teary eyed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Chetney's just a big softy. And I just thought uh, Travis did a fantastic job. So just wanted to throw that in there while we were goozing on the cast and the characters. Yeah. And how about the reveal on Orem of we, I mean, yeah, this was a pretty, this was a theory that we picked up on. We conjectured pretty much immediately from that EXU episode. Um, Context really quickly. There's an EXU episode where Orm is sort of like off by himself training while everyone else is celebrating. And um, um, actually, no, it's later than that where he's sort of being asked. I can't remember if it was like a Bria or if it was like an actual deity or something, but he's being asked sort of at the end of their journey, will you press on? And he basically says, yeah, for my friends, I will. And then he says, um, I think for him, I will. Yeah. And a lot of us picked up on that and was like, well, who's he? And we theorized it here. It was a pretty common theory that this was a former lover, someone who had died in that attack. And so we got confirmation that that was the case. It was his husband, Will, who died. Um, shout out to the name, Will. And uh, yeah, I mean, that whole scene was really great. Um, well acted by 
Liam. And like you said, I think Travis did a great job just leaning into that and being, you know, empathetic. Yeah. And, uh, it was cool to finally have all this confirmed. Like you said, we'd been speculating and, um, it was also cool to finally make a concrete connection on who will was. And, uh, so, He's a half elf, and I love the big moon, little moon uh, representation of the tattoo. But Will is actually the son of a character Liam played in a one shot um, named Derek. So it was just really cool to kind of have that through line of uh, okay, Liam's cool. characters, you know, like out of above table. It was just kind of cool that like he connected a former player of his son to his current character um yeah cool so i just thought that was cool and uh definitely well i was gonna say watch that one shot but don't watch that one shot unless you've seen campaign one because it's like a one shot that like takes place in campaign one's canon okay okay it seems like i mean chetney mentioned this is personal for you and i i think it's fair to say it is but it, it does seem like orem's made peace with it yeah it does I, it definitely I mean, obviously, I think he still wants answers. And um, so there's still things to wrap up, if you will. But he definitely seems at peace with it in terms of, you know, like, like he's accepted it. And um, yeah, values the time they had. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I th- it was like six years ago. Is that right? I don't know. I just pulled that out of the ether, but I feel like yeah, that- it was definitely several for sure. So yeah, he's had some time and I think these are all things again that we kind of speculated in the past, but now that we know, kind of lay it out there again really quick. Yeah. You know, he was a guard and apparently so was Will, um which so was Derek who was that PC I was mentioning earlier, so must run in the family. Um but so they were guards, that attack happened, Will died, and I think if not right then, that was the reason why um Orum left. You know, he's right. like, you know, he retired or quit his job or whatever and moved on to something new, did his own thing. This next attack of the Loomis twins happens. Similarities are called to attention. So they like reach out to Orem probably because this means, you know, so much to him, given that Will died. And we're like, hey, there's new information. Do you want to go, you know, kind of pick up this string again? And um and that's where we are here. So I just know that that's one thing we've kind of been yeah. in the in the mist about of, uh, you know, does he still work for Keyleth? What's why is he? Why did he leave the Arashari? So it's just kind of nice to finally have all that cleared up. And um, yeah, and yeah. it makes the scene with Ashad Regio where they kind of they kind of mention. I don't know if you're my kid yelling in the background, but <laughs> <laughs> they kind of mention like, you know, hey, the, I'll get I'll we'll find out what happened. We'll get revenge. And those shots, yeah. like they have kind of like you know, like a bro, like you know, handshake kind of, yeah, a bromant. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, it gives a little bit more context to that. Like they both lost someone, um, so yeah. But great scene for sure. Yeah, fantastic. And um, well, okay, wait, never mind, never mind on that thought. Um, but should we jump to the next thing, or did you have anything else to say well, on? Not on Orum, but I actually had something to go back on Ladna's story okay. um, that I just forgot to mention was, so like the timing of it all, um, so she's, she mentions how, she had mentioned before her parents had brought her, um, they were very naive, they had a feast, and then she was tortured right. and killed, um, which just speaks to how evil the Briarwoods are, that they, they, they couldn't just kill her and use her as a double, but they had to beat her and torture her yeah. on the front end. The thing I'm curious about, I want to ask you about, is she mentions that she woke up basically hanging from the tree. Um, and so my thinking is what reanimated her? Was it the death of, um, I can't think of her name, Lady Briarwood, I guess? And what has now caused that to be her patron? Um yeah. I mean, there's obviously a connection there, I guess, since, you know, she was the one responsible for Ladna's demise. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts there before we move on to the next thing? Um, yeah. So 
disclaimer before everything I'm about to say is that The Legend of Vox Machina, you know, the animated show about Campaign 1, exists in a separate canon than does the actual campaigns. That's not to say that there's vast differences, but just, you know, for the sake of cleanliness and the adaptation, you know, Matt and the cast have said that they're separate canons. So that being said, you know, anything that happens in one might not happen in the other. Uh, but in the legend of Vox Machina, uh, Delilah, you know, basically raises the entire um, city of Whitestone's dead in like the right. climactic battle yeah. at the at the end of the season, um, including those hanging bodies. Like they started to animate again, so it's possible that that was the moment Laudna. Yeah. Okay. That makes came actually back. makes a lot of sense. Right. So I mean, not, I'm not like nail it to the wall that's what happened but that is one possibility that she was brought back in that moment but why does she have like more of a sentience than just like a zombie like the what yeah. we saw in that episode um so maybe it wasn't that moment and maybe it was a later moment um so i don't really have a great answer for that but and again without getting into spoilers for campaign one we know that um we know that delilah is her warlock patron so when did that relationship happen? And a possibility I'm thinking is whatever made Delilah a warlock patron, maybe she with that power raised Ladna at a separate later time. Yeah, sure. Including whoever else, because it seems like she has more than one little puppet running around. Yeah, we had conjectured as much that maybe Ladna's not the only one. And so that would make sense for sure. So, and this is, I guess, getting kind of all over the place, but I think that, you know, for whatever reasons Delilah has, she raised Ladna and whoever else. And I mean, she clearly doesn't have full control over them, but, you know, Ladna, we still don't really have the the beginning, a full scene of the beginning of Ladna's second life. Um, like was she right. doing specific things for Delilah or has it just been kind of like chirping in her ear waiting for a certain moment right. that there's going to be an ask or something? Um, well, and it, it, the question is also is Ladna an unreliable narrator? Like right. the way yeah. she's described it. And this is, you know, I don't know. We don't necessarily want to, I don't know if we want to transition to Fern yet, but there's some conversation to be had there about her also being an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, maybe the reason we don't have the full picture yet is because, you know, there's details that she doesn't realize she's even leaving out um, that we might get clarity on later. Yeah, 100%. So I think that's a great point. <laughs> Definitely with Fern as well. Um, but so I'm tr- I can't remember, like, uh, to circle back to your original question. Uh, no, that gives me that gives me insight. Yeah. As to like what you think and kind of like how to handle it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great to see that. We already talked about it, but just to see that theory pan out, and it uh, leaves room for more theories for us to now, you know, be wrong spew about out, it. spew out twenty and get one of them right. And be That's like, right. Shotgun effect. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's talk about Fern since there's, I just mentioned her. Yeah, there's so much to talk about with Fern. Uh, yeah. Do you have a specific um, starting spot that you want to hit? Yeah, let's maybe, um, so like parents being an Aeor, that's a whole conversation. Her her being allowed to go see them is another conversation. And I think her family is like place in the Feywild. That's like a third thing that I want to ask you about. Yeah. So her mission is kind of where I would want to start, which is she mentions that her grandmother said, yeah, you can come to Tal'Dore and maybe find them if you want. Um what we know from EXU, which again, this was we, this was kind of like an elongated play test for Liam and Ashley Johnson uh, for their characters. Um, so we don't know exactly what's been kept or what's been thrown. Two details is that she does mention the letters, which was mentioned in EXU, where right. Dark Fern, the creature who came out of the Feywild Gate on a mission from the War Queen of the Burning Veil, um, basically says that Morgan, your grandmother, faked those letters. They're not real, which I thought was an interesting reveal. It might be now, I mean, d- pointing her towards Aeor might be, might, might mean in hindsight that Darkfern was just trying to mess with her and convince her to come back home. Um, I'm not sure. Right. 
The other thing though, that's interesting is Fern had a memory of Morrigan leading her to this gate. And in EXU, when I mentioned being an unreliable narrator, she realizes that this is basically a false memory that presumably her grandmother planted in her mind. Um, and it's something to the effect of like, she peels that away and sees like what really happened. I, I can't remember really the exact details, but um, all that to say, yeah, like there's some background with her that doesn't seem quite accurate with what's actually happening with her background. Yeah. There's, there's a lot and I don't, it's kind of hard to parse. So like, I'm trying to remember exactly the, the sequence we got with that false memory thing. Uh, it's, I, we need, I need to go back and look cause it's been a minute. Um, but I, th there's weird stuff with the Feywild just on top of everything else. Like when you travel from the Feywild to the material plane back and forth or whatever, there can be like massive time dilation. Right. Like a minute in the Feywild could literally be like a hundred years in Exandria if, if you know, if the roll the dice roll that way, basically type of thing. It could also be a hundred years is one second type of thing. Um, so I I don't remember if Fern's like hazy memory there was because of like an implanted memory or because the uh, something I didn't mention. If you can also just completely forget. Your yeah. like time in the Feywild once you leave. So it could also be some of that. Maybe a little column A, a little column B. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but like you said, her grandmother led her to the gate. So like her grandmother is the one who wanted her to come here um, to look for her parents. But like you said, these letters that Fern has been getting from her parents, we have Dark Fern say that those weren't real. The grandmother wrote those. So we don't know if Dark Fern's lying or... We don't know who's lying, but, and I mean, Ashley herself maybe is even just kind of unreliable narrator messing with us. Um, right. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but, um, but on the letters, the Aor thing, which I know I saw you kind of, um, in the yeah, discord had no context for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for, for anyone that doesn't have context, Aor was a location in campaign two that was brought up and it's basically this like ancient city, um, very powerful like mage city that was basically taken down by the gods um uh, ancient 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 so the fact that she would get a letter from there basically makes no sense unless there is some absolutely nutso time dilation stuff happening like i mentioned a minute ago which i don't think that's what would be going on to me i almost feel like that was ashley just kind of messing with the cast and with us but if she wasn't and like she actually did get a letter from Aeor, I just either massive time dilation stuff is happening or they were just visiting the ruins and sent her a letter from there. Um, so that's all crazy. And just like I said, but plus the dark fern thing saying those were lies. What? I mean, maybe her grandma yeah. said it was from Aeor because fern would never be able to go there or something. Um, okay. I know uh, Please stop me at any point if I'm like just rambling and making nonsense. But her grandma, Morrigan, uh, there is a uh, like Irish mytholo mythological, whoa, mythological yeah. like yeah, entity. Yeah, I read this too. Yeah, yeah. which, <clears throat> and I've seen it been it's been put into D and D campaigns and stuff before as a god. So could just be a name. Could just be Morgan is the name of her grandma, but we know that they are an influential, powerful family in the Feywild. And we know that the Nightmare King like respected and or feared that family so much that he let them live. So clearly the grandma is someone important. And so maybe it is kind of this like interpretation of Morgan, who is like a god of like war and fate and that's i think there probably yeah. could be something there that's exciting you have something well i was going to say also um in apparently i did a, I did a little deep dive on this apparently in the reprint um the Taldore reborn uh campaign edition yeah they actually like name out some of the major figures in the feywild 
Um, and Ooh. I don't think Morgan's mentioned, but we do one mention is the queen of the burning veil. Um, we get some other names mentioned that I can't remember any of them here, but I do wonder, yeah, who is Morgan synonymous with one of these characters that was mentioned in this, um, this book publication or something else. And I'm also still trying to parse like the Sealy versus the unsealy chord. And, yeah. um, I don't know if we really have time to get into that today, but I don't know if you have extra insights. Maybe it's worth talking about, you know, later on. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, well, just, I mean, again, it could be Ashley just trolling, you know, and maybe the name doesn't mean anything, but I think it does based on the things I just listed for, you know, her yeah. being a big deal in the the Feywild. Um, but I don't think that Morrigan is the matriarch of the 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 burning, the burning veil, veil or whatever. I think that's yeah. somebody else because that is the queen of the Sealy Court or the Unsealy, whichever one. And I remember Fern saying that, you know, her family was not royalty. They weren't part of the court, but that's she right. but she was there a lot. So that makes me think that it's not that person, but it is just a powerful, influential entity. Yeah. And um just the other thing that kind of is very interesting and kind of could fit into this cogwheel is that, like I said, Morgan is like this god of like war and fate and destiny and stuff. That all screams time travel to me. And we still have this glaring thing from EXU of like the dark <laughs> evil fern from the future. Right. So right. like maybe all these things go together and, you know, her grandma is Morgan, who is a not a god, but like a powerful, you know, archfey or something. Um, yeah, I, and I'm glad you didn't say the the missing week because I was gonna be like, just let it go, man. <laughs> <laughs> just let it go. Yeah, not that, not that. Oh no, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, which, by the way, what is going on with the Feywild and the Odirin Wilds and Drusar? Like, the party kind of subtly like talked about it of like, okay, like what's happening here? We had the Gnarl Rock, which, by the way, was like so well named and like such a cool item, I guess. Yeah. Um, the stone from the Gnarl Rock. And we also have the Fey Wild Shard as well. Um, the Nightmare King is a big player as of late. Like, what's your take on what's happening right now in Marquette? So, well, in Marquette or just like, well, I, I say Marquette as a whole, but I guess more specifically, it'd be more accurate to say the Odirin Wilds and Drusar. So we do, like from EXU, we have this gate that um, we were just kind of talking about stuff that was happening there. It's a gate from the Feywild to the to Exandria. And in the Ordean, Ordean Wilds, Wilds, we clearly have like a Feywild influence happening. I don't think those th two things are related because that gate is so far away from where we are right now. Yeah. So maybe there's another gate, but I don't think that either. What I think is that this has to do with the celestial solstice and the planes overlapping. Oh and yeah. Merging, which is something we've talked about. Um, so to me, I think this is a, just another piece of that. It, I mean, it would make sense. And just for whatever reason, the Feywilds kind of overlapping with what yeah. we have. Here. This is interesting because we also had something similar in EXU of for better lack of terminology, um, the fire plane, right. You know, and the Ono plateau. And so, yeah, maybe these different places across Exandria is where that particular plane is, you know, coalescing or whatever you say, <laughs> you know, like yeah. coming, you know, kind of popping up and showing up. Um, you make a really great point. I, that is a really great, um, theory for sure. Yeah. So that's my best guess, but it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see what all, they continue to find as they go further into the wilds. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's like so many like potential things that are all happening at once that may or may not be related. Cause like, if that is the case where it is like celestial solstice related, I don't think that really has anything to do with the nightmare King. It's just kind of a coincidence that they have the null rock. And now this face shard rock, which are both from the Feywild, but you know, very different. I thought the the gnarl rock was um I don't know why I thought this but I thought about like those old like um uh, what's the movie um the never ending story and like those kinds of films from like the 90s where it's like you know fairies and stuff for whatever reason like gnarl rock just fit that vibe <laughs> perfectly um so I just thought it was a really great name for that 
But um, what do you think's going on? I mean, Imogen seemed really freaked out by it, and it was almost kind of like a, you know, the um, the the circlet of barbed vision um esque yeah. in the sense of the, it was like no one touch it. She was very, you know, um, insistent on no one touching it. And yeah. I think even Matt, as they like were moving it around, I think Matt even asked, "Did you did you touch it?" Um, which to me seems to imply something's going on there. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I think clearly there is, uh, you know, it showed up in her dream and, um, obviously this is what the nightmare King used in his experiments. That's clearly what created the shade mother. You know, it twists and evolve things, twists and evolves things in like a dark way. Um, yeah. so I think that, you know, if she were to continue to, be open to it then there might be some consequences there might it might already be too late and she might have something happen um but yeah i i'm wondering what the purpose was of it where it was like what was the shade mother using it for and i still still kind of cloudy on if it was attached to the drill or not i don't know if you saw we had a few comments on our last video it was a separate yeah yeah. i i still haven't gone back i need to Um, but if it was separate that would make a bit more sense to me yeah. For me, it's also more context on the term. Um, she's been down there a long time, but only recently evolved. Right. Um, for me, what we talked about, is that about Lady Emoth or is that about the Shade Mother? For me, I really like now the Shade Mother theory a bit more with that. On um, And we talked also about the Nightmare King, like his machinations and like kind of unleashing chaos in a multitude of places. Mm-hmm. I kind of envision him slapping that gnarl rock down there and just letting it just let it you know vibe out and create the shade mother and you know sort of let that whole thing happen and then armand treshi being like the all right now what did you do okay yeah Yeah. that's closed i'll make sure this is working you know kind of just making sure that everything's neat and tidy amongst the chaos i guess um but yeah i mean that that's what i subscribe to at this point that all kind of makes sense to me um but as far as what it's doing to Imogen specifically, I'm not sure, but I think something like, I think she's already crossed the barrier. No, not, not to say that she's going to turn into some grotesque creature or anything, not that it's reached that point, but um, I think she made the right choice, not doing what it said in the dream, but I'm very curious what would have happened if she had like gone that way with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find out more. And then the other thing I was thinking about too was um, Ashton Graymore's mm. reveal on, which I don't know if it's just, I haven't read anything about earth genasi. I yeah. don't know if that's natural. Like you hit puberty and you start, you know, growing rocks on you. <laughs> I mean, but um, that was interesting too. When yeah. you revealed, yeah, I haven't always been this way. I was wondering the same thing. Um, so again, you encyclopedias down there in the comments, let us know if this is just like, an earth genasi thing and maybe it is but it's just it's like new to matt's world maybe it's not like a established thing but part of me wondered was it like a crazier reveal and like ashton used to be human or something like i don't know if it was meant to be taken like that way or not yeah but you know i feel like it could be either thing it could be like oh this is just a normal thing or like yo dude i used to be a monkey and now i'm an earth genasi like so very curious used to be human i am still heavily shipping the theory that <laughs> fdg was a humanoid whose consciousness has been put into fcg's body um only because we just keep having these moments where people are just like there's no automaton like you like this is so unique and um there's just some details that are just kind of fuzzy like as he like reveals memories and things that i just i just wonder about i mean it's just I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to me. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this, but just to uh, bring a refresher. So speaking of Aeor, that ancient city I taught you about, there were automatons. I'm not going to say like him, because I don't know like exactly what they were like, but more advanced than we have today. Um, and maybe that's because they all have like souls in them for all I know. Um, but so there is still the, that aspect of it is that maybe he's ancient and just the technology that made him was lost and um 
And yeah, I mean, him being in stasis, is it possible he's been in stasis for like we assumed he was like put in stasis, like knocked out or whatever, and then like the next day Ashton found him. I mean, is it possible that he's been in stasis for, you know, a long, long time? I guess no, I guess he would interesting. I, I guess he would notice like technology differences, you know, if that was the case, but But he kinda doesn't have a memory, right? Of Right. Like he maybe right. has like forgotten those types of details. I hadn't thought about that. That would be really cool if like this attack on Dancer and stuff was like thousands of years ago, but he doesn't have the context to realize that. Yeah. Well, because I had a character in one of our campaigns that was like that. Um Novren, who, you know, thousands of years has passed, but he wasn't aware of it, I guess. Um, Man, that would be really cool if that was what was going on. Yeah. Okay. We'll um, see that theory and just kind of see where it goes. Yeah. And one yeah. other little thing on that, uh, um, that I cut you off. Well, I was going to just add something else about him, but I think you had to say himself. Well, I was going to mention the, the energy in him mm. um, that seems to be present. You know, I don't know if that's like a soul esque energy. It does make me wonder if that's the tie in to times where Matt's been like, um, Sam, you take a point. Like you, you know, this, I think it like, is built, like building up that energy. Um, and I just wonder like, what does it mean for that to be released? You know, Milo mentions like, it seems like you're heading towards a release of some kind, you know, does he just like charge up like a spirit bomb, like every <laughs> eight encounters or like, what is, what are we moving towards releasing? I guess. Yeah. To me, it seems like a negative thing. Right. So I feel like when he's rolling ones or whatever it is that is causing him to accumulate this, there must be a certain threshold that if is met, he's going to malfunction or something in some way. Um, so I think maybe, you know, him feeling weird and feeling off is maybe he's getting close to that threshold. And Sam was just like RPing that. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if like, you know, his daily sleep, aka stasis, maybe like removes one of those negative charges or something. And so if he can go like a week without accumulating more, maybe he can get back to normal or something. Um, but yeah, I think it's something bad. Like if, and when that energy reaches a critical level, um, he just dies. <laughs> I mean, who knows, you know, uh, but becomes killer robot. <laughs> I mean, I've seen people speculate about that. Like yeah. maybe he was a murder bot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the only other thing I wanted to really quick mention on the whole FCG and everything was the dark figure that, um, Imogen saw like darting away in his, when they were mind melding. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what that might be because figure does not evoke one eyed monster. Like to me, that was, and maybe it was like, maybe that was just Matt describing what that thing was. But to me, that was like a new entity. And so he what, I, I don't know. I wonder if like how much the words matter. Cause yeah, I wondered the same thing. He didn't say like shadowy creature, mm -hmm. which would have made me think like a beast or monster of some kind. He says yeah. a figure, which in my mind is kind of humanoid. So yeah, same. So I don't know. So maybe we're reading too much into it, or maybe there's more pieces to this puzzle. Yeah. Know? So I just thought that was well, interesting. Unfortunately, we can't like deep dive everything today. Um, I would love to hear in the comments what you guys like other like you know cool moments or just thoughts and theories you have, and like really the if you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, um, let us know because we like to talk about all that kind of stuff. Please and uh, stay tuned. We you know we won't. I guess we're not getting an episode this Thursday. We'll get EXU. Um, but then next Thursday, we'll be back for the continuation of it. Um, so there's a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. And uh, who knows? Maybe even in EXU, we might get some breadcrumbs for Campaign 3. I think so. I think it'll be its like own self-contained story. But I think clearly, because Dorian, if nothing else, that there will be implications of, on the greater Do you story. think there's going to be, there'd have to be like a time jump, right? I don't think so. Why? Why makes you say that? Well, because in the previous episode, you know, he had just basically left. It's been a few days now, and this two shot, so to speak, it's with Opal and Dariax. I mean, unless they're like waiting when he arrives, like, oh, hey, it's good to see you. I guess I'm just like parsing like the time of them getting back together, what that's brings true. them back together, and like what then sets them off to the next thing. So. I, okay that's fair i think there could be like a few days to maybe a week type of time jump from where we are in campaign three versus where this is going to take place but i don't think there's going to be like a bigger one than that really but we'll see 
It's been 80 years since <laughs> <laughs> Hell's Bell, Bell's Hells were murdered <laughs> in the <interior> miles. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, uh, let us know what you thought. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, at The Pixelist, and on TikTok as well. That's right. Check us out there. Yeah. And on uh, Spotify, too. So you take that out, too. Follow us everywhere. Yeah. All right. Uh, thumbnail? Um, I know we got we got to be quick. So uh, just something weird like this. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> let let <laughs> me know when you've done it because I can't see. Okay, I've done it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Perfect. We're going to be waiting for the moment of where that makes sense. And then they'll get to hear and be like, <laughs> I'm so disappointed. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Absolutely. Have a good one, y'all.